0: Welcome to The Digital Week, where professors Michael Roseman, Marika Welkowicz, and Monica Bradley explore and make sense of the digital economy in under 15 minutes. Hi, this is Marek uh, uh Welcome to our regular podcast. I have Professor Michael Rosman together with me. Michael,
1: you had a fantastic presentation yesterday. Can you tell us a bit more about it? Thanks, Marek. You must follow my tweet. So, indeed, yesterday I talked to, to libraries. Maybe not the area that I'm totally familiar with, but on a higher level of abstraction. Of course, all libraries ask themselves, are we needed in the future? So we reflected... What does the digital economy mean for libraries today and tomorrow? Mm. So what does it mean? Well, it's a good question. And one individual from the audience asked, do we need libraries tomorrow? And it's a bit like what Bill Gates said. We probably need banking tomorrow. We might not need banks. So we try to unpack how can libraries survive. And, and what they are seeing is that their classical, traditional, physical assets, books, um, increasingly become a digital public good. Mm. meaning people can access it, it's for free, it's available. So you can see that your, your value proposition, access to digital, access to physical books, is disappearing and they have to work out what's our new value proposition, what's our new business model. Mm, that's exciting. I'm actually a member of a library that I mm. never ever visited. I
0: have a card and I only access that library virtually. That's because I want to have access
1: to the virtual resources. I, I think that shift is happening at the moment. Absolutely, absolutely. Another question is, of course, what are the unique digital uh, virtual resources a library can offer? And what we talked about was maybe a bit uh, out there. But the idea was a library knows a lot about their readers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes, I hand over books, but you could see books as an act of handing over an asset that allows me over time to learn more about you. So I might realize, hey, Marek, you're quite keen on the digital economy or running or Polish history. And over time, what I do is I get deep insights into my readers. Uh, So what that means is my primary product, access to physical or digital assets, leads to to secondary asset that is data about people. And if I unpack and cluster them carefully, I, I could see communities. I could see areas of expertise uh, and they're probably of interest to a lot of individuals and a lot of corporations. That sounds like a new type of
0: capital that we could be tapping into. So let's uh, let's let's think about the history of uh, of the capital. Uh, Let's uh, rewind back 2,000 years ago, all all that we were doing, you know, picking berries and uh, milking cows, that was the natural capital, Mm. right? So we were using the resources that were provided to us by Mother Nature, and at some stage we thought, let's build a system, a philosophy around it, and that was the the emergence of organizational capital, uh, where we said, all right, let's try to be more efficient, let's try to have value chains. That took us to the emergence of economic capital, Think Henry Ford, uh, mass production, uh, your, your, your uh, Ford Model T uh, really being able to produce more because you're being more efficient, right? At some stage, uh, we realized that it's not only efficiency, it's not only mass production. You need to differentiate yourself. And that was the emergence of symbolic capital. So campaigns being the Coca-Cola of the industry and really showing or, or making everyone love you. That also became a commodity like every other type of capital at some stage. So the emergence of human capital and having uh, people advise you, having consultancies advising you how to run your business better was the next step. What I'm seeing and what I'm hearing from you at the moment, Michael, is that social capital or communities as a capital is the new emerging form, the, the new differentiator.
1: Uh, Yes, exactly. So here at the PwC Chair in Digital Economy, we often talk about the move from the economy of corporations to the economy of people, and the the idea of social capital is is at the core of the economy of people. So that means that organizations start to look at who actually consumes our services, can I broker peer-to-peer, customer-to-customer relationships, and, and could I create a community that probably is of higher value even than the assets. So what could be the examples? So there are a couple of examples. So first of all, we see that kind of thinking, of course, a lot in pure digital companies, Mm -hmm. Um, the the Facebooks, the LinkedIns. uh, These are organizations who are are dedicated and passionate about building a community um, at its core. But I I very much believe this kind of thinking can also be deployed to organizations who who are not digital by birth. Um, example, uh, imagine you're in a, an ordinary retail bank and, and you make a living out of handing out mortgages. Um, there's no community thinking and you're a bank, you create a product like a mortgage and you try to find customers. If you think in communities, or as you phrased it, social capital, that would mean you don't think about the mortgage that you hand over, but you think about the homeowner mm-hmm. on the receiving end. And you think about probably not your individual customer, but about... The community of homeowners. You might have a million people who have a mortgage. There's a million people who own a home. And maybe these homeowners want to interact. They want to have a conversation. Um, And so maybe you could become a platform that facilitates that sort of conversation. Mm -hmm. So that's the idea of exploring social capital and then to explore what's the value within the community of a third parties who have an interest in accessing that sort of community.
0: So as a university, we're trying to look differently at... The students that we have, they're not just uh, the ones that uh, are being taught by us. They're not the ones who are receiving lectures and uh, are being educated. But this is also a a large community, a social network, effectively, that we could tap into. And that's what we're doing with, uh, for instance, student
1: design gems. Exactly. So every organization uh, could ask themselves, what's the sort of community that I'm closest to? So Mm -hmm. yesterday I said to the libraries, you are very close to to a lot of sub-communities with a very specialized interest in certain topics. Mm -hmm. Robots, flooding in Brisbane, Egyptian history. Um, A a bank might say we are close to a community of homeowners. A university might say we are very close to a community of digital natives. A car insurance company might say we are close to car owners. and, And even a company like Thermomix, uh, quite advanced provider of a sophisticated kitchen device that's doing anything from creme brulee to pumpkin soup. Um, is capitalizing on the idea, and and what they do is they they provide a platform where people exchange recipes. Hmm. So there's something special about
0: communities, there's something special about, about building them. When you are the one who facilitates, who creates a community, uh, one thing that we're seeing in the digital world, thing, Facebook's things, Strava, uh, the bigger the community is, the better the services for the members of the of the community are,
1: right? Which is interesting. That's not exactly the case with traditional organizations. Exactly, exactly. So this is often called positive network effects, meaning how does the organization get better with every new customer? And, and if you understand this, that also helps you to, to explain and to comprehend While in the digital world, all these companies have a market share that is often higher than 50 or 60%. There's not an other industry where we see this. But when we come to the digital world, Google search, LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and so on, Uh, They all have a massive market share because the idea of this, the winner takes it all. The exponential effect of those positive network effects very quickly builds up such a gap between you and others that you create a market entry barrier that nobody can overcome. Mm. The secret is now, of course, how do I copy that kind of thinking into traditional organizations like banks, universities, hospitals or insurance companies? And one very
0: unusual thing that we're seeing with uh, with digital social media examples or you know businesses that have networks is that they start with a community. And then once they have a community, try to carefully look how they could start offering services or products to them. That is exactly the opposite from a traditional approach where, you know, if I wanted to start a business, I would say, hey, first let's think what product or service I could offer
1: and then try to get customers. That's, that's exactly the opposite. Good, good good point, Marek. And last time we talked about disruptive innovation. And at the core of disruptive innovation is sometimes oppositional thinking. What if I do the opposite? And what you just described is exactly an example for oppositional thinking. Instead of me creating a product and finding a customer, we start with a customer or a community of, of customers and then work out what product services we or others could offer. Mm. But what you see is often that that building a fast-growing community is easier than selling products. Uh, LinkedIn probably becomes a recruitment company. Uh, TripAdvisor probably becomes a travel agent. They didn't start with the product. They started with the community. And that shows you today, in order to grow, uh, we have different pathways. And and for organizations that are traditional, to understand how to engineer this positive network effect, this one big design challenge uh, in, the, in the emerging digital economy,
0: precisely. So, what does it mean for me as a traditional organization? I started with a product or a service, and I have customers. Uh, am I? Is it easy to disrupt me right now? Is uh, there? Could there be
1: another player who will steal my potential community from me? Or is probably, probably. So, and we see this to a certain extent. Let's say when it comes to to the car industry, for example. Um, So if all of a sudden the Googles and Apples are on your dashboard and they are closer and have a higher share of digital attention than you have, and they connect you to other drivers, there's a traffic jam, I tell you which way to go, they facilitate driver-to-driver conversations, you as a car manufacturer become secondary, you lose customer ownership. So what we believe in the future is there, there will be competition between communities. And if I take car drivers as a community, you could ask yourself, who becomes the provider of this community? The car manufacturer, the car park, the city council. So perhaps the car insurance.
0: Hmm, so perhaps the new job of the future for at least traditional mm. organization, uh, traditional organizations could be. A community miner, someone who knows that there is a community somewhere hidden there, you know, underground. You just
1: need to dig yeah. it up and try to try to facilitate. It. Very good point. So, if I go back to my initial example around the library, any library could work out what are the kind of communities we have right now. Hmm. So, I do have a lot of people who are interested in certain topics, and that's a massive data crunching mining exercise, and maybe more analytical and logical in nature. You also have more of a, of a design job, like a community designer. Um, if I go back to my banking example, it's a community, a community of 1st home owners, people who invest in homes, uh, people who like to renovate homes. So what's the scope of your community? How big it is? Or how do I get invited? Is it open? What sort of relationships do I exist? Are there peer-to-peer, homeowner-to-homeowner? Or are they more like an Airbnb, Uber environment where I have more provider-consumer relationships? Mm.
0: Um,
1: So in a library example, it could mean I know a lot and you like to learn and we put you two in touch. So you have different kind of design um, options for those communities. And we believe that in addition to a lot of product, service or process designers, we see this emerging uh, new job called the community designer who, who shapes communities, their scope, and their relationships, which is uh, underexplored, but, but full of potential.
0: Excellent. So let's say this community designer creates a community now, and it grows, and it's uh, you know 500 mm. million people big. Do you see another role in such an organization, someone
1: who now says, hmm, how can I monetize this community? I, I think so. So we often talk about the, the role of um, digital assets, and these communities probably create a new digital asset, and we need economists. You could call them community economists who have to understand what's the commercial value. And to a certain extent over the last years, we had this conversation when people ask themselves, is this the right price for Strava? Is this the right price for Skype? Is this the right price for, for WhatsApp? Are they inflated or not? So you can see how the world tried to work out what is the true value when I buy these massive communities, Um, It's a bit like, locally, uh, the Qantas Frequent Flyers Scheme. Um, To a certain extent, this is a community. A community of people who like to travel, they've got above average income, um, which has our own commercial value. And then, how to assess the commercial value of these communities is probably another uh, massive challenge we will face um, in the world of emerging communities
0: very exciting and you know when we talk about specific communities let's say a community of home homeowners there's probably only one player who could really own such a community yeah, or build says. such a community and who is it right yes. that's a,
1: that's a great question that's right and, and so what we believe is anybody who has access to a to a home whether you're the interior designer the bank that funds this the home and content insurance provider city council uh logistical service providers australia post so a lot of people know a little bit about how models and there, there might be this massive race. So um, this is really a complete new new dimension, the digital economy. So you can see it's a great option. There's this great potential, and and what is now required to understand also, and we might talk about this uh, in one of our future podcasts. The ethics in the digital community. Once I'm a part of a community, do I want to be sold? Uh, do I want that people have got access to me? How do I trust a community designer that my identity is protected? So I, I believe we only scratched the surface today. Uh, we can't finish this conversation, but I've got this feeling that the ethics of community design and utilization are a big, exciting, but also challenging field for all of us.
0: Michael, it is indeed very exciting. The race is on for the communities. So what we did today is we, uh, we really discussed how traditional organizations see a lot of their, their businesses disappearing and, uh, and emerging
1: communities could be one potential area for them to stay relevant. Absolutely, absolutely. We might leave it there, Marek. We both go back to our own communities. Uh, and until then, I'll see you next Friday. Thank you very much, Michael. See you, Marek.
0: Thank you for listening to The Digital Week. For more information, visit our website at www.chairedigitaleconomy.com.au